0: Welcome to another episode, The Bright Side of Autism. Today we are going to talk about a new subject, and today it's actually something that I really love to talk about when we talk about autism, and that is a sensory processing disorder, or SPD. What is SPD? SPD is a neurological condition, that affects how the brain processes and interprets sensory information from the environment. It is particularly prevalent in children with autism, impacting their daily experience and interactions. In this comprehensive guide, we will dive into the interaction and the issues of SPD in children. We will explore various examples and offer valuable advice on understanding and supporting kids with autism who experience sensory challenges. So let's start with the basic thing. Let's make a definition of it. Okay, so definition of sensory processing disorder Sensory Processing Disorder, also known as sensory integration, uh, uh, occurs when the brain has difficulties organizing and responding appropriately to sensory information. Sensory inputs such as touch, taste, sight, sound, and smell are either amplified or diminished, leading to um so what we see in children that is not typical reaction to an everyday stimuli. Now the senses the senses that involve in SPD are different in each child, and sometimes we will see several senses that are involved. The first one that we're going to talk about is a tactile touch sensitivity where children may react strongly to certain textures or find certain clothing unbreathable. You remember those kids in commercial that are wearing a new sweater and they're pulling the necktie or the neck uh, area and they say, I can't breathe. That is one of those kids. But also a typical gentleman that doesn't want to wear dress clothes. Auditory sound sensitivity: loud noises such as vacuum cleaner, cleaner, or sirens, or even a loud person may cause distress or discomfort. Visual sight sensitivity: bright lights or specific visual uh, patterns. May be overwhelming. Gastatory sensitivity—you guessed it—is taste. Children may extremely may be extremely picky eaters due to high sensitivity to taste and texture. Olfactory sensitivity is smell strong smell like perfume or certain foods and might trigger a reaction that we might not see. So this is actually, it's fascinating to me because you can actually <coughs> see this with children with allergies sometimes. Uh, I had a client that uh, she is allergic to nuts and she can go to a store, go into a store, with that, there is no nuts there, but she will smell nuts because someone else brought it like half an hour ago or even five minutes ago, and she will be in shock, she will get the sh- uh, epileptic shock. So, that is for me, it's a very uh, fascinating because I, my studies are neuroscience. So, for me, it's the brain is amazing, a uh, thing that we need to explore more and more. Um, Let's talk about the example of SPD in children with autism. Uh, Let's start with the basic one. Hypersensitivity to sensory inputs. Hypersensitivity refers to being overly sensitive or reactive to sensory stimuli. For example, uh, auditory hypersensitivity. A child may cover their ears or become distressed in noisy environment, like school, shopping malls, the movie theater. All of those things. There, um, even if the parents are sitting next to him, they're talking, and the volume goes up. Not going into why, they're still loud to for him. It will cover the ears. Tactile hypersensitivity, the child might resist hugs or avoid certain fabrics, leading to challenges in dressing and self-care routine. Visual hypersensitivity, bright light may cause discomfort, leading the child to uh, avert gaze from the thing that bothers him. Gastatory hypersensitivity the child may have a limited diet due to a, a version of certain texture or taste in the food. Hypersensitivity um, to sensory input. Hypersensitivity, uh, hypersensitivity here, sorry, refers to reduced response or not responding the same way that people will react to sensory stimuli. Auditory hypersensitivity. The child may not react to their name being called or loud sound that typically elect a response in other children. I will give you an example. I had a client, um, he was a year and a half, a year and eight months, and he didn't He didn't respond to his name. And his name was Agam. So I went to their house. And the first thing I've, I've looked at is I took two pens and went behind his back. And made a loud sound next to his ear. Next to his ear. He did not respond. Then I went and lie down. And next to his ear, went next to his ear. And just whispered his name. And he turned his head towards me. The mother was in shock. She was amazed. Now, why did it happen? Well, there is actually a very good reason. Children can actually be more affected towards different sounds, or different volume, the volume of your sound, or frequency of your sound, they actually can detect when the sound changes, the frequency changes, so he was able to do it, so every time that I would call him, I would call him by that sound that I created for him, and he would respond to it. So, that is, a different, that is the example of auditory hypersensitivity that we're talking about. Now, let's go to tactile hypersensitivity. The child may seek intense sensory experience, such as touching or pressing hard objects. Or, he wants you to give him a bear hug. A, a hug that might seems to you like you're going to break the child. But you see the difference when you give the child a, bra- a bear hug. The child is in the room. You finally can feel that the child is in the room. You can see it in his body that he's finally in the room. And when you release it, after two seconds, he's not in the room anymore. The other one that, that we're going to talk about is vestibular hypersensitivity they might engage in excessive spinning or rocking to seek sensory input so for that I have actually uh, if a child is spinning around for too long he might have that issue and we need to see if it's only for stimuli or it's actually something that um A doctor needs to see because sometimes it's uh, something with the eyes, so sometimes I tell parents just go to the doctor and see. The other sensitivity is to pain. The child may not perceive physical pain as acute as others, leading to self-injuries behavior without realizing it. So, After we've talked about the two kinds of SPD, one is hypersensitive and the other kind that is hypersensitive that those are two kinds of a spectrum. One is I'm too sensitive to light and the other one is I'm not sensitive at all. One is I'm too sensitive to hugs and the other one I need a hug and need to have that kind of a feeling in myself. So. When we are talking about the challenges uh, that kids with SPD are facing, the first thing that comes to mind is the social and communication th- uh, difficulties. Sensory challenges can interfere with social interaction and communication for kids with SPD and autism. They may find it challenging to engage in conversation due to sensory distractions or feel overwhelmed in a group setting. For example, let's say that you have a child with sensitivity to sound and in the classroom they are uh, celebrating a birthday of a child and they bring balloons and he, he the child hears the balloons touch each other and it bothers him. So it's hard for him, so it, he hides behind the table, he goes outside, it bothers him. So it makes other people feel uncomfortable but it also makes the child feel uncomfortable in this situation. The other thing that we might consider is the emotional regulation issues. The sensory overload experienced uh, by those ch- these children can lead to difficulties in emotional regulation. They might experience meltdowns or withdraw when they feel overwhelmed. Now, I'm sure that you actually want to hear what are actually the educational implications of a child with SPD. Well, in a school setting, children with SPD may have trouble focusing due to sensory distractions, impairing their learning experience and academic progress. <coughs> I My best example of it is when I was Working with a child who was a fifth grader in a school in Italy, I was doing my workshop and providing therapy at the time, so I was there for several weeks. So people asked me to come to their to go to the school sometimes if they had any issue. So one time they they told me come to the school. I have a child with autism here. We don't know what's going on. Uh, we think that he's uh, very disturbed and he has a very sensory issues and we don't know how to deal with it. I went to the room, I met to the child, a very charming little boy, uh, very eloquent. So I asked him what's going on in very nice way. He told me, uh, yeah, they put me under the air conditioning and i'm very cold every day and now they now they move me in the front of the class and i can't really learn there and the teachers came to me and say well we thought because he's autistic he has that issue that all autistic kids have like a sensory issue but that was not the case that this was the case of a child that was cold, because the air conditioning was on him, and he was very cold. So, that is a very legitimate reason to be cold. If I will throw the child to a bucket of uh, ice water, and he will tell me, I'm cold, I would not think, oh, well, you have a sensory issue, we need to think about how to fix you. So, that is why we need to understand sensory seeking and avoidant behavior. Well, when we talk about seeking behavior, uh, some kids with SPD and autism may exhibit sensory seeking behavior where they actively seek out sensory input to regulate their nervous system. That is what that school was under the impression that Charlie's uh, experience right now. I don't have any kind of bad, ill uh, emotion regarding that school. I'm sure that they have done everything they can do with their tools that they have in, in their arsenal. So, but if they would tell me that the child is spinning, rocking, or jumping, that is, my, that is something that I would see as a child that may engage in repetitive physical movement to stimulate their sensory system. Then, it's another thing, it's another story. Another thing is, for example, if he had hand-flipping, taste or smell uh, sensation, and those are the things that I would look at. But if it's another thing, no, uh, sometimes you need to ask the child, sometimes you need to build a sensory map. Sensory avoidant behavior, on the other hand, some children may show sensory avoidant behavior where they try to minimize sensory input to avoid feeling overwhelmed. For example, covering their ear, selective eating, a limited touch. So, now that we talked about that, let's talk about what are the main advice for understanding and supporting kids with SPD and autism. The first thing is educate yourself and others. Start by learning more about SPD and autism. Educate family members, caregivers, teachers, and peers about the conditions to foster understanding and empathy. Observe and listen. Pay close attention to the child's behavior and cues. Observe what sensory input triggers positive or negative response and listen to what a child tells you about their experience. Create a sensory-friendly environment. For example, if you create a sensory diet, develop a personalized sensory diet, providing activities and tools that help the child regulate their sensory input throughout the day. Sensory space, design a calm and quiet area for the child to retreat when feeling overwhelmed. Visual support, use visual schedule and cues to provide from time to time a space to reduce anxiety. Remember, you need to respect sensory differences, understanding that each child's sensory experience is unique. Avoid uh, forcing them into uncomfortable sensory situations, but gently introduce new stimuli at a pace they can handle. Communicate clearly. Use simple and direct language when giving instructions or explaining expectations. This can reduce confusion and anxiety in children with SPD. Encourage self-advocacy. Teach the child to recognize their sensory needs and advocate for themselves in a positive way. Encourage them to communicate their preference and discomfort to caregivers and teachers. Also, in the end, always it's always good thing to seek professional support. Consult with an occupational therapist or other special te- uh, special uh, special people that work with people with uh, autism, who are experienced in working with children with D and autism. They can offer tailored strategies and intervention to address specific challenges. Understanding and supporting kids with sensory processing disorders and autism requires patience, empathy, and the will to learn. By recognizing their unique sensory experience and providing a supportive environment, we can empower those children to thrive and embrace their individuality. With awareness and compassion, we can build a more inclusive society that celebrates the diversity of sensory processing in children with autism. I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode. And if you like this episode, please share it. Or go to our website to autismcenterforkids.com or ACK Daycare for more information. Thank you and have a wonderful day.